So let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, Lord, we pray that you would guide and you would direct and we would hear your voice this morning. Lord, a voice that cries in such a different way than our culture. A voice that we need to slow down and be still to hear. Because the the din of the noise of our culture and the voices that call us into a different way of life is so loud. Cries out to us to follow that way. But Lord, you call us into a different way. A kingdom life. A kingdom reality. And so we need your spirit's power to do it. We need your spirit to change our hearts and our minds and our souls to the deepest level. Because to walk in this way, Lord, is not easy. It it is hard. And so many times, Lord, I know that I don't even want to live into it because it hurts, it costs. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to us what it looks like to truly follow after you and your kingdom. And so guide and direct our conversation, we pray. Amen. So this morning we are are in our second week of this series called The Cruciform Life. Now, if you were here last week, you've heard this word. But maybe, like, this is the very first time you've ever heard the word cruciform. Like, it's, it's not like, I, I don't know how many people just, like, use that normal, like, conversation. It's not a normal word that we hear, right? Um, and so, like, if you break it all down, like, a lot of times words are broken into, like, parts, right? And so it's very easy to understand what cruciform is if you just look at the word cruciform. Cru, C-R-U-C, form, F-O-R-M. So think of it this way. Cru, meaning like crucifixion. Form, meaning shape of. And so what we're talking about is the shape of the crucifixion, or to do life in the shape of the cross. What does it look like to have your life look like the cross? That's what we're getting to. That's what we're talking about. A life that follows Jesus and the way of his kingdom. And so last week we started, I mean, like we like started with a bang. We went to Matthew 16, 24 to 26, where Jesus says to the disciples, look, if you want to follow after me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Like, like very easy stuff, right? Like basically die every morning to yourself. Die to what you want, your base desires, the things that like go against the will of God. Um, That is what... He's, he was calling his disciples to and to you and I. Um, and so we talked about like boiling it all down. Like if you could like, you know, throw the Bible into the pot basically and boil it all down and like to its essence, to its like root. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To like get up on that cross every day and die. Like, I don't, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't want to do that. A lot of times, I don't want to get up. I want to live the way that I want to live, and I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. But Jesus goes first. It wasn't like he goes, oh, hey, yeah, go die on the cross, go die uh, every day, but I'm not going to do it. No, the Christian life is a path, a journey of little crosses 
day in and day out. We wake up to dying to ourselves, to our ambitions, to our, to our base desires, to desires for power and might and prestige and position. And when we get up on the cross, we then get off as what Apostle Paul in Romans says, we become living sacrifices, which is a weird thing because if you, like in the Old Testament, a sacrifice did not just get up then after and then walk away. I mean, it was dead. But Paul is saying, hey, get up off the cross, live a resurrected life in the way of Jesus in the kingdom. And so that's what he's saying. We need the Spirit in that because without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't do this. We don't even want to do this, if we're honest. Because it challenges our culture, it challenges our flesh and our own will. We come confronting those things right from the start. And so today, we're going to talk about another, just, you know, simple thing that, you know, you all got mastered, like, as soon as you, like, grew up. It's called self-sacrifice. Just, that's easy, right? No problem. Or to live as followers of Jesus, we live self-sacrificial lives. And we take our cue, as with all things, from Jesus, our King, our Teacher, our Lord and Savior, because he lived a life of self-sacrifice. And I don't just mean, like, on the cross. I mean a life to the totality of self-sacrifice. And so that if, if, our, if our Lord, our Savior, our God, our King lived a life of sacrifice and from his birth to his death on a Roman execution tool, the, the cross, if he went first, then he calls us to follow, to do the same thing, to live a life of self-sacrifice. And I think if we look at the whole of the New Testament, we can find story and story and story of self-sacrificial life of Jesus. But what we're going to do is one of the, I think, one of the most pertinent scriptures that talk about the self-sacrificial life of Jesus is found in Philippians. So that's where we're going to go. So, you know, if you have your Bible, like, you know, old school book form or, you know, new school form like this, um, turn to Philippians 2. 5 to 11. It's about three quarters of the way back through the whole entire Bible. This is the word of Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Philippi. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Well, 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So... Before we dive too much into this amazingly Christocentric text 
about what it truly means to live what I call a cruciform life, we need to do some unpacking because there's always a context to what is happening in these letters. I mean, Paul is writing to this church at Philippi, and it's contextual. There's things happening in that church that he's writing to and about. And so what we see here is he's, as, as the, the church at Philippi is in the midst of uh, a Roman, it's a Roman colony at the time. It's a Roman place. It's made up of former soldiers from the Roman Empire, people who are citizens of Rome. And they took great delight in that. It brought them great honor and privilege to be citizens of the empire. But as a part of the empire, they also took place in what they call imperial worship. That Caesar, to them, was God. In fact, the interesting thing is, there was the good news of the Roman Empire. There was the gospel because we all think gospel is just a Christian word, just a church word. But what we don't realize, it was actually taken from this idea in Roman culture that there was a gospel. There was good news. This gospel, this Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was about Caesar. In fact, actually, on an inscription from a government building, it says this. The most divine Caesar. We all know what the word divine means. God, right? We should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward disillusion, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura. Caesar, the common good, fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifested. So right there, that's. That's the gospel that these people were familiar with. They were familiar with Son of God, divine Caesar. And so here, this small sect, this small group of people within that town are saying, hold on. Caesar is not Lord. This gospel is not the true gospel. This, in fact, what they were realizing is this, this gospel from Rome, this Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was actually started and kept in order through violence and force. If you got out of line, we're going to hang you on the cross. So don't get out of line. Hey, that's good news though, right? No, it's by force and violence. And this is a culture where it desired might and power and prestige and position and authority. They wanted to be on the top. And if you tried to climb on up there with them, they would stomp you down. Things like self-sacrifice, humility, putting others before yourself, selflessness, 
That wasn't considered ideals to live out. That was actually considered weak, pathetic, wrong. So on one hand, you had a culture of violence, its own gospel, all about power and position. But yet you had another culture represented by the disciples before this who wanted the same thing. They wanted power. They wanted prestige. They wanted Jesus to come and kick Roman tail, set up his empire, and they could rule and reign the same way that Rome was going to be. And so here comes Jesus, and he confronts both cultures and says, that is not the way of the kingdom. That's not the way to live a cruciform life. A life is about this thing called kenosis. Kenosis is a word that means self-emptying. And so what we see is that Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, you are called to live a self-emptying life, a kenosis life, a cruciform life of self-sacrifice because that's what he did. That's what, he would say, that's what I did. And shows up in this text as we read in Philippians Now, what we find out in this text is in verses 6 to 11, this is a a hymn, something that the people of the day would know. The Christians at Philippi would have worshipped using this liturgy quite frequently. So it wasn't something that Paul had put new. These are words that they were familiar with, this Christ hymn. And so he's calling the church to look after the needs of each other, to focus not on their own needs, not on their own self-interest, but put the other needs of others and the interests of others first and foremost. And to do that, to live in that way, you need to have the mindset of Jesus. Because the natural mind is, no, I'm first. I'm first place. If you get in the way, I'm going to step on you. He's calling us to have this perspective, this cruciform perspective that we see everything and everyone through the eyes of Jesus, through the cross. And so then Paul dives into this Christ hymn to say, hey, what does it mean to be kenosis? What does it mean to be self-emptying and to live a self-sacrificial, cruciform life of humility and self-abandonment? Not running after things like status and power and privilege and might and authority. And that's so funny too because if anyone, if anyone had power and might and prestige and position and authority, it was Jesus. Like he, he, is, he could do this and do it right. But what does he do? He gives it up. So, flying in the face of our culture. It says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And did you notice there are two parts of this hymn? There's six, there's six to eight and nine to eleven. And so what we see in this first part 
is this verses in 6 to 8. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And so what that part is the sense of a downward trajectory of Christ's life. Being on high, being king and king and lord of lords, and then coming and, and emptying himself, taking on the form of a slave, and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's this downward status that he's going into. And then the next part, you actually see this other perspective. It's only, I think it's only possible, but because of the first part. Because Jesus is willing to go in downward status, that then God brings them up in an upward status, an upward journey. Because of Jesus' kenosis, his self emptying. Therefore God exalted himself to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is God's perspective, God's narrative in resulting in his Christ's honorable and glorious upward status. How much of our world wants the upward status without the downward status coming first. We want to be up here. We don't want to be down here. We want to be in charge. We want to have power. And Jesus is one who says, no, I forsake that. I'm going to, hum- I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to take on the very nature of a servant. Have you ever, you ever feel like, Lord, I want to be a servant, and then you get treated like one? And then you get angry. I mean, or, or am I the only one who's that had a problem? Because I feel like, sometimes I'm like, Lord, I just want to serve, I want to be humble, and then somebody says, hey, you. And I'm like, what do you mean, hey, me? I, I, I mean, I'll be honest, one of my bosses is sitting over here. I work, I work for, at her cafe, and there are some time, I'm like, Lord, I just want to serve. And then, they, then somebody treats me like, like a servant. Like they don't put their dishes where they should. And I go, ah, 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 ah. and God always says, uh, you said you wanted to be a servant, right? And I'm like, well, not that way. The way that I want. And he just always says, no, the life of following Jesus is of self-emptying being a servant and self-sacrificial. It is not easy. It is not glamorous. That is the way of Jesus. It's upside-down kingdom life. This hymn is so upside-down that Jesus, King and Lord and God and Savior, is most revealed in the crucified one. That is, that is so upside-down. That is so crazy to say our King, our Lord, our God, our Savior took on the form of a slave and died on a cross. And if that King of kings and if that Lord of lords is true Lord, then Caesar is not. Yes, Caesar Augustus back in the Roman Empire, but anything else that we put in its way, in its place. Caesar is not. 
Or I love it. It says, here's Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of all the cosmos. He takes on the form of a baby, right? Take on the form of flesh and blood. And I love it. It's in, in the message. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. The Savior of all the cosmos put into the life of a baby. I mean, that, I can't, my mind cannot wrap it and cannot comprehend that idea. And he then says later on in his life in John 10, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Which means when he went to the cross, he laid it down. He didn't have to. Remember what he said? He's like, I could have legions of angels take care of this, but I don't. And if this is how the God of the universe, of the entire cosmos, God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of all, acts, then what does he call you and I to do? To live a life of kenosis, of self-emptying, of cruciformity, to live in that way. I, I came upon a commentary from a, uh, of a professor at the Gettysburg Lutheran Seminary, and this is what he said. The hymn guts the imperial attitude, actions, and claims of the empire, its counterfeit lord, and its ruling elite, including those of the Roman colony of Philippi. At the same time, the hymn establishes and celebrates the divine and political and social reality of selflessness, non-exploitation, and cruciformity, reflecting God's true character in and through Christ. Saying, just to put that, it says, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's a political, social reality that shows us his selflessness, his non-exploitation, and his cruciform life. And then he says this, in turn, those who now live in the Christ reality also embody Christ's own attitude and actions of selflessness, non-exploitation, and cruciformity. Saying, if Jesus went first and lived this life, then those of you who follow after him live it in the same way. Kenosis. Cruciformity. And so Paul, through this ancient Christian hymn, is calling all of us those who seek to follow after the, the way of Jesus and the kingdom to live a cruciform life in the shape of the cross. It's one, it's a life that relinquishes grasping out of power, of worldly power, of giving up position, of striving to be number one, to be always on top, always dictating, to pining for glory and dominion. And instead, Jesus calls us to a life of self-sacrifice. A life dictated by the towel and the basin and not the, cro- not the sword and the gun. It's not about power and violence. It's about being a servant. I was... I was thinking about this last night really quickly 
In 313 AD, you had an emperor named Constantine who saw in the sky a symbol of the cross and heard the words, in this symbol you will conquer. And he won a battle. And he believed that the Christian God gave him that. And so they put crosses on all their, on all their shields. That is not the way of the kingdom. Violence and power and position are not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is to put yourself in the form of a servant, to be comfortable with a towel and a basin, and to figuratively and literally wash the feet of your enemy, of the one who doesn't like you, of the one who wants to push you down. That is the way of the cruciform life. And boy, oh boy, do we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And so we're going to spend a couple minutes together talking around your tables. Some questions that are already up there. So for you to talk about what does it look like to live self-sacrificially in your own life, in your own context, in your own community.